0: Welcome to Everyday Pastor. Whether you have been a pastor for 40 years or four days, this space is for you. As a pastor, you spend your days encouraging and problem solving for others, but where can you turn for sound advice on leading your church or keeping your family a priority? On this podcast, Phil Waldrop will connect you with his ministry friends to talk about the things your layman friends don't understand or can't relate to. We want to help ordinary pastors have extraordinary ministries, Let's dive in.
1: Hey, this is Phil Waldrop, and I'm so glad you joined me today for the Everyday Pastor podcast, where we're helping everyday ordinary pastors have extraordinary ministries. You know, one of the things that I hear from so many pastors is just their their heartbreak at how many people in their church don't want to volunteer they really are self-focused they feel like everything is about them they think every program in the church is about them or their children or their family and yet they're not willing to serve and that is greatly affecting a lot of our churches and it's affected a lot of pastors they don't know how to navigate this world where people are so self-centered and they need to get them to be servant focused. Well, I have to tell you, there's one person that I think both biblically and practically has navigated that world well, and he is a young man. And in fact, I got to tell you a little bit of how I met our guest today. I, I was speaking on a Christian cruise and I met this wonderful pastor, and we had a great conversation. And he told me that his son, uh, who was a teenager at the time, was with him, and I met him. And then this young teenager asked me, could he sit down and talk to me? And I, I get that a lot, and just sometimes, you know, they want to just talk to you. But as we began a conversation, he began to ask me so many questions about life and ministry And I remember going back to my cabin and telling my wife, I just met a young man we are going to hear so much about in the future, and have we ever. As a matter of fact, God called him to ministry. He went uh, to college. He went on to the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he finished his PhD. He was called to be the pastor of the Friendly Avenue Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. And now as the pastor of the Shandon Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina. And to show you how this young man has been so blessed, he was elected by the pastors of the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination to serve as its president. Uh, and that is a very high honor. Many people far advanced in age than he have been asked to serve that, but that's the respect he already has among pastors. And I am honored to call him a friend. Dr. Daniel Dickard is our guest today, and I'm going to call him Daniel, even though we are I respect his doctorate, we're friends, and so I'm going to call him Daniel. So Daniel, thank you for being with us today. It is a joy to be with you today, Phil. Well, I tell you, Daniel, you're an impressive young man, and i i I really pray for you often because God's given you a gift, but more than that, He's given you a wonderful mind, and He's given you a great insight to Scripture and practical applications. In fact, I want to tell our audience, we don't normally push product, but you wrote a wonderful uh, book um, that's going to address what we talk about, and don't let me forget to mention that before we we finish. But I want to start, how did you, as a young man, you grew in a pastor's home, when did you start seeing this, as you like to call it, uh, the church of we in the age of me. I love that line. When did you start seeing that as a problem? Was it before you went in ministry or since you've been in ministry? And how did that impact you when you realized this this self-focus that happens so often among people in church life? There was never a moment
2: growing up that I did not see the self-focused approach to ministry. Now, my dad is not a self-focused pastor, but growing up in a pastor's home, I remember seeing in churches the me-centered approach to ministry, volunteerism, even those in the church that may have come because they said, I want to be fed, but there was not a concern for the larger church body. And then when God called me to ministry and I began to study In college i began to meet those who while called to ministry were me focused but it was there in seminary serving various churches of various sizes that i began to realize this problem of me-centeredness was not just in the large church or the medium-sized church or in the small-sized church it's everywhere because it's a problem of the flesh Mm -hmm. and we as believers have three major enemies, Satan himself, the evil world system that's in opposition to God, but then the flesh, that old nature that wants to rise up against the new nature. And I began to see even in men whom I respected and churches that I thought highly of, that this issue of meism still seemed to creep into the church. And then when God called me to pastor, I began to see it even more. And so during COVID, I began writing on a napkin, two words, consumerism and pragmatism. And I shared with my wife that I wanted to take Fridays as a pastor, that I had Fridays off, and I wanted to research for the next year to see where the Lord would take me in this project. And what I thought would be a year-long project ended up being about a six-month project is the words just seemed to come and... I wrote not only out of my personal experience but also in being a preacher's kid seeing the meism that undercut the ministries of the church in a lot of ways it was very subtle but it happened and so this was a project that not only did i see from personal experience but also in growing up in a pastor's home and i hope that uh, this issue can be a help to pastors as they struggle with the me-centeredness and
1: me-focused mentality that is certainly in the church today. So let's unpack that just a little bit. Um, I think most of us could probably think of examples, but let's talk about some general examples. Tell us some areas where you see this me-centered focus probably in the life of the church or in the life of Christians more often than maybe other areas. What are some of the key areas where it is noticeable And kind of unpack that a little bit of why do you think Christians cannot see how they're being very self-focused? The gospel is about
2: the denial of self, whereas individualism claws for the expression of self. Those who have grown up in church may have heard the word surrender, but that term is very ethereal. We say that we're to surrender as Christians, but what does that really mean? And as I begin to look through the scriptures, I think about Luke 9:23 where Jesus said, "If anyone would come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me daily." Or there Paul in Galatians 2:20 when he says, "I'm crucified with Christ." Those are verses that we memorize and we may know in our heads, but do we know how to apply it in our hearts? And i begin to look at all of the relationships that we possess in life in fact life is run on the rails of relationships and i begin to see that there are five major relationships that we have in life the first relationship is unto god the second relationship is to self the third relationship is to our family the fourth relationship is to other believers and then the fifth relationship is to those who are not believers And I began to see that in every area that it requires surrender if we're going to live the victorious Christian life. The Christian life can be summarized in this way. I can't, but he can, and he lives in me. The Christian life is not about living for God. The Christian life is about denying self and allowing God to live his perfect life through us. But how does that happen? So I began to look at these correlative values that we as Christians believe in. Values such as prayer and the Bible and ministering to our family, disciple-making and missions. And I began to see that in all of these major relationships that it requires a correlative aspect of surrender. So for example, if I'm going to surrender to self, I do that through prayer. Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane, He says, Father, remove this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The secret to the Christian life begins with those nevertheless moments where we say, not my will, but your will be done. So we surrender unto self through prayer. I mean, Prayer is an expression towards God where we acknowledge our humility and our need of Him. We surrender unto God by accepting God's words rather than our personal opinions. I think it's the height of arrogance for a pastor to think he has something more to say than what's in God's word. My ministry is not one of creation or innovation. My ministry is one of communication, to communicate those revealed truths that are in Scripture. I surrender to my family through family ministry, Jesus is not just an aspect for my family. Jesus has to be the priority of my family. And so there comes a time in the life of every man or woman when the boy and girl sits down and the man and woman steps up. But how do we do that? It's by surrendering to our family. We surrender unto other believers through disciple making. I like to put it this way, Phil. Disciple making is an act of death to easy believism in casual Christianity. We die so that other people can live. So we die to our comforts, our conveniences, our desires and ambitions and goals so that other believers can grow in spiritual maturation. And then finally, that we surrender to the world through missions. I think about the Apostle Paul when he says, how will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe if they've not heard? And how will they hear unless they've been preached to? How beautiful are the hands and feet. And so in that area of the lost world where we go to them in missions, that's an act of surrender. So if Christian life, if the Christian life is about obedience, obedience can only be accomplished through surrender. And so this idea of meism, I think it really comes back to the idea of the crucified life, uh, allowing Christ to live his life through us. Which we as Christians we know that intuitively, but so often we don't allow that to take place in our own life because we are at war in our flesh. Galatians 5:22, where the spirit wars against the flesh. So this is a reminder. I think this issue of meism that we daily have to deny to our wants, our desires, and our preferences, and allow God to live His perfect life through us. That's the secret, in my opinion, for moving from meism. It's more of a we
1: mentality. Well, well said. Now let's make that application. If a church is going to move away from meism to a a life of surrender, which and focus, which I should add, we don't stress in our churches very often. We don't talk about dying to self and being surrendered. But I want to ask you and I how does it start with the pastor? Because it's been my experience after years of ministry and being in so many churches, if the pastor hasn't died to self, there is a very good chance, almost to a certainty, that the church is not going to die to self, individual members of the church. So how does it start with the pastor? And what does he need to do in his own heart where he surrenders? Now, I don't I don't mean preach sermons on surrender, but sincerely where he surrenders his will to the will of God. How does it start with the pastor?
2: You're right. The congregation will take on the temperature and the spirit of the pastor. As the pastor goes, so goes the church. When scripture says that we're to watch over both our life and doctrine, I think this is a reminder that not only the things that we believe that we must surrender to the will of God and the truths revealed in Scripture, but also in how we behave. And so I, I believe that as we're here at the Southern Baptist Convention, the Pastors Conference has just taken place, and the theme was character matters in ministry. It's not this idea of, well, we're going to try to live our best life in the power of self. It's daily that we wake up and we realize that, God, these hands are your hands. This mind is your mind. This heart is your heart. Lord, you work in and through me. And this has to occur on a daily basis. Now, now practically, that means that we have to be men of prayer. That means that we have to be men of the Word. Pastors can't expect their people to go to a place that they haven't gone themselves. We have to say, God, you've revealed yourself in Christ. Christ has been revealed in the scriptures. Therefore, I'm going to align my life with God's word. I'm going to submit every aspect under the authority of Christ and unto the scriptures. Not just be a pastor that preaches the word, but I'm going to be a pastor that allows God's spirit to work in my heart as I am daily, not only in the word, but allowing the word to live within me. I think that it's in those spiritual disciplines. I think about the Gospel of John, where there are four major spiritual disciplines, Bible, prayer, fellowship, and evangelism. If the pastor is not surrendering in those four areas, he can't expect his church to grow spiritually. He can't take them to a place that he hasn't gone himself. So I think that it's in these areas of spiritual discipline that we must live the crucified, surrender life, It starts with the pastor. If the pastor's not willing to go there in the surrender life, he can't expect his people to be in the surrender life. And it's going to
1: create a church of me rather than a church of we. So when a pastor starts that walk, and we would like to think all pastors are there. But if we're totally honest, I think there's pastors, their hearts are pure before God, but they haven't quite learned to do it because it's not a pleasant place to be. Let's just be honest. You know, the flesh loves to be satisfied, and it's not a, a comfortable place sometimes in a surrendered life. Um, I remember early in my ministry being greatly, uh, profoundly affected by a lot of writing from authors that talked about the surrendered life. I remember there was a wonderful missionary um, who was well-known to a lot of Southern Baptists, and you and I both were members of the Southern Baptist Convention, um, named Bertha Smith. And I remember going to her little home and spending half a day with her. And the whole conversation was on a surrendered life. And I be, was a young preacher. I wanted to impress her with my surrendered life. And she began to challenge me. And I have to confess, I come under great conviction by the Holy Spirit because I thought I was surrendered and I was surrendered to a point. But when she started saying to me, are you willing to go to a communist country and die for your faith? And I would say, yes, ma'am. She says, well, I'm going to start praying. Is it okay if I start praying that God sends you there? And I I wanted to say yes, because she says, you know, if I start praying, God might do that. And she was really just challenging me to help me understand that that surrendered life is truly an open book and God gets to fill it in. And But that comes, as you said, from the discipline. She, she helped me understand about prayer and Bible study and, and being connected with other believers in evangelism. And God used that profoundly in the early days of my life um, to understand it is about a surrendered life. Now, for the pastor who's hearing that, there are some of them who are saying, I'm there. But how do I start leading my congregation? Maybe it's a it's a pastor who hasn't been in his church very long, and maybe he's walked into the me church, and he sees this selfishness when they're trying to plan, when they're trying to do the budget. It's very self-focused. He's walking it. Walk us through what you would say to a pastor to help him begin. He can't do what only the Holy Spirit can do, but how can the Holy Spirit use him to begin that transition in the life of his church from being self-focused to really being a surrendered church? I would begin with patience.
2: We overestimate what God can do in one year and underestimate what God can do in five years. And I think that a pastor that moves into a church that's filled with me-centeredness, there's something about slowly and patiently plotting and allowing God to bring the harvest. It's not going to happen overnight. And so preaching the Word, allowing the Word to do the work, there's no true ministry outside of the ministry of the Word. Mm -hmm. And so the first step would be patiently preach the word, love the people, and then over time as you are drawing these issues out, don't do it with an ax to grind or as if you have a point to prove. If you're going to do it, it's got to be done with character. And I think character is built on two realities, time and trust. You have to give God time, but the people also have to come to trust you. And they have to see the surrendered life in you. And sometimes we want to see God work quickly, but oftentimes it's that slow process of sanctification. And it's difficult to move a vessel 180 degrees. Uh, they say that it takes sometimes 18 um, 18 minutes to take a oil tanker and, and to move it in, in that type of direction. And so slowly but patiently preach the word, love your people, and understand that character is based on time and trust, and they've got to see it in you. You know, I like to think of me-centered Christianity as those who t- even talk about the cross, but they're not living the Christ life. Whereas We Christianity, it doesn't just talk about the cross of Christ. It lives the cross of Christ in the home, in the office, in the pulpit, that there's a consistency in our life, that our personal life, our private life and our public life have to align. And if it doesn't, there will eventually be a fallout in ministry. And so if you want to see God to do the work of turning me-centered churches to we-centered churches... It's going to take time by the power of the Holy Spirit, but they must see it in you. Be patient, be patient, be patient, and let the Word of God do its work by the Spirit
1: of God. I personally watched from a distance how God did that in your previous pastor. And I want you just to encourage some pastors by maybe telling some of the ways you saw God do that when you were the pastor of Friendly Avenue Baptist Church. And because I want them to see the end result because there's something that just dynamically happens when a church becomes a surrendered church, surrendered to the will of God. So maybe using that church as an example where you were the pastor, and it's it's not putting a star in your crown, but it really it really did from what I viewed, really did happen there. What So encourage pastors with the end result. What happens when your church does become a surrendered church, and how does it affect the people? And I don't really just mean in their walk well, with the Lord, but how does it affect everything from the dynamics of the church once they understand and they're focused on being surrendered? There's an old
2: African proverb that says that if you want to go fast, go along, but if you want to go far, go together. And so in the early days at Friendly Avenue, I determined that I was going to patiently and slowly walk with our people As we moved, like many churches that were built on the church growth movement, and I believe in evangelism and I'm not against the church growth movement, but there were certain aspects that over time that subtly began to creep in, such as there were those who would come on Sunday morning and they say, well, I didn't get anything out of the service. Well, if Christ is exalted and the word is preached and you didn't get anything out of the worship service, the issue may not be the worship service, the issue may be you. And there were those that would say, well, I didn't like the songs that we sing today, uh, that we sung today, They, they didn't speak to me. And my gentle reply was, we weren't there to worship you, we were there to worship the Lord. And so at Friendly Avenue, we saw a church that was a great church, a church that I love dearly, but at times, uh, like many other churches, that there were preferences that had been placed in the position of priority. And trying to lead our church through the Word of God and by highlighting some of these issues, that we can't be driven by ambition or preferences or our personal agendas, we have to be led by a family on mission. So there are two aspects here that I began to teach at Friendly Avenue. First, we're a family. And as they say, blood is thicker than water. And so as a family, we are going to do things as a family. In a family, it requires surrender. The greatest virtue that I learned in my home growing up, Phil, was that there were times where I didn't get my way, but that was okay because we were looking at the betterment of the family. But there are some churches that are very sweet and kind and nice, but they've become distracted from the mission. So it can't just be that you're a family. You have to be a family On mission not just prioritizing the traditions of old i'm not against traditions and even a new church plant can have traditions within two or three weeks but instead saying if there are traditions that are keeping us from fulfilling the great commission then we have to reevaluate those traditions and so from the early days being patient in the preaching of the word wanting our church to see that we were going to be a church where family meets mission we weren't going to sacrifice the mission but we are also going to be a family but underneath that we were going to be undergirded by the principles of Scripture and by the sound doctrine of God's Word and so as I begin to walk the church through what it meant to be a family on mission we begin to see in a more practical sense wait church planning it should be such that it starts with evangelism rather than based out of marketing which is consumerism we began to see that our worship service, it shouldn't just be about the experience that someone receives when they come into the building, but equipping our people that they can then reach those as they are going outside of the building. We started to teach our people that good preaching was not just uh, that you had a feel-good emotional experience, but that you were grown in the maturation of, of the Word. We started to teach our people that other churches were not our competitors, but rather they were on our same team. We started to teach our church that success looked like depending on the holy spirit rather than our marketing strategies rather than our techniques or rather that our goals that we had set and what we were going to do in a five year agenda those things have their proper place i'm not saying that we shouldn't plan or we shouldn't have board meetings we shouldn't be in conference rooms but we were going to be guided as a church that where family meets mission undergirded by god's truth and we were going to look at those areas that had subtly departed from the principles of scripture to allow scripture to be our compass rather than our personal
1: goals and ambitions to be our compass. Well, that's very well said. And it's, it's always gonna be a battle. I mean, you know, it sounds easy, but there's always gonna be spiritual opposition and there's always gonna be the temptation to go back to being me centered. Yeah. And so it's always a battle. I don't think pastors to think, boy, you get there and it's done. It'll always be an ongoing battle because again, people are selfish. That's part of our sin nature, that we want to be selfish. So it's a tendency to go back to that. Before we wrap this up, I want as I said, we don't normally talk about books, but I do believe your book entitled Church Together, and you have that little subline that I love uh, about, you know, the, the, and I just forgot it about the, the, the church of we church in the, of age, we and of the age, age, of age of me. I've said it so many times that we've got it back and forth here. A wonderful book. And just for a moment, tell us about writing that book and how pastors can get it.
2: Pastors can get it by going to Amazon or really anywhere where books are sold, Church Together, The Church of We in the Age of Me. The publisher is Wiffenstock, uh, that you can find it online or also in stores. Uh, the genesis of the, the book project, though, as I mentioned earlier, it started with writing down on a napkin pragmatism and consumerism. And here's what I began to learn, Phil the greatest underlying threat in the church today is me-centered individualism. We are at a fork in the road moment in our churches, and we have to come to the place where we adopt the spirit of we rather than the spirit of me. And as I began to look at the expressions of individualism in the church, I began to see that there were three key areas. Now, it's not limited to three, but these are the three that I think are most prevalent today. Number one, consumerism, and consumerism simply is about the enterprise of an individual and how they can gain something for themselves rather than for the betterment of the larger body. Pragmatism, uh, which uh, simply means the end justifies the means mentality. And then uh, legalism and liberalism, I think that these are all expressions of... Of meism in the church and so in the book that if you, in your church you're dealing with issues of consumerism pragmatism legalism and liberalism I would encourage you to read the first part of the book but then we give the solution in part two of the book and the solution is prayer Bible missions family ministry and discipleship these are all core to Christianity I love what General Mattis said uh, to the military he said we've got to be brilliant in the basics And that's essentially what this book is about. We've got to get back to the basics so often that we want to focus on the periphery and these marginalized aspects of ministry. And if we'll get back to the core, those spiritual disciplines and living the surrendered life. I like to put it this way. The secret to knowing and doing the will of God is a willingness to do whatever God tells us to do before he tells us to do it. It's the willingness to say yes before God gives us the place of ministry. And so if we will take these spiritual disciplines with also the Spirit of God, wherever you lead, I'll go. That, I believe, is the formula that God has for us in order to be a we-centered individual and also a we-centered church. So Church Together, The Church of We and The Age of Me, available through Stock Publishers.
1: Well, Dr. Daniel Dickard, thank you. you. You're one of my favorite people in the whole world. And I say that literally and probably very close to your dad <laughs> because he is a dear friend and I have so much love and respect for him and I see so much of you in him and that's a good thing. And so thank you for sitting down with us today. I think it's been a great help for pastors who really have struggled with this me-centeredness in the church. And hopefully, as a result today, many of them will personally move to the surrendered life and then they can begin to help their church to do it as well. So thanks for being with us.
2: Bill, it's an honor being with you today, my friend.
0: Thank you for listening to Everyday Pastor. Our hope is that this conversation will be a resource to you both personally and professionally as you navigate the high calling of leading a church. For more information on today's topic, a list of related resources, or information about today's guest, please visit everydaypastor.info. Don't forget to subscribe to Everyday Pastor so you don't miss an episode. Share it with your friends and follow at Phil Waldrop on Instagram for podcast updates.